In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would all the kids up through the eighth grade please come forward? I kept looking at you. I knew you would come. Good morning. How are you all? I can't see you. Come over here. Yeah, sit right here. Good to see you all today. Welcome. You know, when I was a little boy, we used to play outside all the time. In the summer months, especially when we didn't have school, but after school as well in the afternoon, we'd go outside and we'd come back in at dark. And we played ball. We played all kinds of ball. Baseball? What kind of, what kind of ball do you use for baseball? A big ball? A little ball? A little ball. A little ball. Hard ball, right? Or sometimes a soft ball, which is a little bit bigger. We play soccer. What kind of ball do you use for soccer? Soccer ball, right? We play dodgeball. What kind of ball do you use for dodgeball? You know what dodgeball is? Take this big old round ball and you try to hit people with it, right? Standing we play tether ball. You know what tether ball is? A ball on a rope, and we hit it and go around and try to hit it and not let it. Yeah, you can put it on. Dangerous, though. They don't let us play that anymore. And we play kickball. We played kickball. We had a big ball. It was just like, kind of like baseball, but you kick it and you hit people with it as they ran the bases. Played football. We played football. I remember one time when we were playing kickball, it was my turn to bat, and I don't know what happened to the ball, but I, I, I was. Well, I say bat, I mean kick. And so I was about to kick the ball, and I was going to kick it way out there. And I kicked it, and it just kind of went right there because all the air had come out of it. It was nothing. It didn't go anywhere. <laughs> kind of made me look a little foolish there. But so, And I, you know what? I tell you this because sometimes we Christians are like that. You know, we're given all this spiritual energy from God. And, and sometimes... When we go out in the week and we just get involved in everything else in the world, um, all that spiritual energy, just the Spirit of God, just kind of, we forget about it. And sometimes we're so tired and we, and we don't think about God and we don't say our prayers and we don't read the Bible and we don't do the things that we're supposed to do as Christians. And we're like that deflated ball and it doesn't go anywhere. It just kind of sits there. And so when we come to church, like we hear today, right? then, then the, the Holy Spirit fills us with this wonderful spiritual energy that is His, that He gives to us, and we take it back out into the world, and we remember God, and we tell people about God, and we say our prayers out in the world, not just when we come to church, and we read the Bible when we go out into the world, not just when we come to church, and we, and we, do, we listen to our, whatever we do, we listen to videos or films about God, not just about those things that, that interest us, but, and I hope the videos about God interest you too, but things like that, that fill us with the Holy Spirit that reminds us that we're supposed to go back out into the world and, and be filled with the Spirit too so other people can know about God. So don't go back out into the world like a deflated ball 
Sometimes on Saturday, I feel like a deflated ball. And when I get to church on Sunday and I say the creed and I say the Lord's Prayer and I receive the Eucharist and I hear the Word of God, all of a sudden I feel, I'm filled with energy again. God's energy, God's love, God's spirit. And, 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 and if, if that ball was filled with air when I kicked it, it would have gone over the fence, I promise you. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we go back out into the world, we're going to go over the fence for God. Because that's what he wants us to do for him. Not for ourselves, but for, for God, okay? Think about that, about what we receive at church, about what God gives us at church. Not so that I can feel good about myself, but so I can take what God gives me and help give it to other people out in the world. That's what we're supposed to do, okay? All right, now if you want to... Um, you, if you want to get a packet and go back to your parents or grandparents, whatever, you can do that in color while Father Larry preaches the adult sermon if you want to do that. You want to? Go get a packet or just go back to your seat. Either one. Whatever you feel good doing. Thank you, sir. Good job. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And as we think and meditate on your word, open our minds and most of all our hearts so that we can truly hear you. Amen. Amen. Well, good to see you this Sunday. This is the seventh Sunday after Trinity. For the past three Sundays, Father Stan's preaching has dealt with what lies beyond this life for those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God has given us eternal life, a gift of mercy and love. Today's gospel is for us followers that are still earthbound and who are striving to become true disciples of Jesus. When you sincerely ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, he comes into your life spiritually and you become a child of God. And in the Bible it says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The Gospel of Mark re, uh, reading this morning is composed of two passages, very brief, linked by their similar content. One is the story of Jesus and the apostles going away to a deserted place, supposedly, for solitude and, and to be together. But being interrupted by the crowds where their great needs, that doesn't happen. And the story is the crowds coming to Jesus in Gennesaret for healing, this dire need to be healed, knowing that Jesus could do that. Well, between these two passages, Mark tells the stories of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water. These verses that are a story within a story, they're a very favorite uh, literary genre for Mark, where he skipped, uh, which we skipped today, we didn't read them. But next Sunday, when we read uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, 1 through 21, we will delve into it much more in detail. 
But today we are going to look at what happens before and after those miracles in order to focus in on the one word that sums up most of Jesus's ministry. And that word is compassion. These passages speak to us because we have felt like the disciples must have felt, hurried and harried. The needs were great, the crowds were large and the disciples could not even find time to eat. If busyness was a problem for them, it seems even worse today. Our problem is a wor world in which technology has removed space and time for even breathing sometimes. Our labor-saving devices fail to generate more personal time. Our communications technology fails to bring us together and instead makes it easier to be isolated in front of a screen. Worst are the interruptions. If we could just concentrate on the task at hand, we could get the job done. There's no place to hide. If it weren't for these cell phones, emails, television, and sudden requirements of countless forms and bureaucratic exercises to protect your financial uh, holdings, we go through to ensure and also the, to interfere with and also the medical needs to be fulfilled. It's become quite bureaucratic just to get medical coverages, just the amount of time. But why do these passages speak to us? These passages speak to us because we have felt also like the people who came to Jesus. We too have been sick in body and sick in spirit, in desperate need of Jesus' healing touch. We too have rushed around hoping to find help, begging Jesus that we might touch even the fringe of his cloak so that we might be healed. In Mark 6, 7 through 13, Mark tells of Jesus sending out the 12 two by two, and that was read last week, with authority over unclean spirits. Now in verses 30 through 34, Mark resumes the story of the 12 who report the results of their mission to Jesus. The apostles gathered themselves together to Jesus, it says. Jesus sent them out as the 12 in verse 7, but now in Mark, he calls them apostles in verse 30. The word apostle is particularly appropriate in verse 30 because it comes from the Greek word apostello, which means to send. And it was that word that Mark used in verse 7 to speak of the sending out of the 12. Jesus sees that the apostles are weary after their busy mission tour and invites them to a place of solitude where they can rest. Soon Jesus will have compassion on the crowd, but first he has compassion on his apostles who have not e even had time to eat. Discipleship must balance time for service with time for physical and spiritual renewal. But then Jesus comes out and sees the great multitude. When Jesus arrives at his resting place, a great crowd awaits him. Jesus and the disciples have reason to be annoyed. They have not eaten. They needed rest even before rowing the boat to this destination. We would expect tired, hungry men to respond with anger, 
to this unexpected demand on their fading energy. But instead of irritation and anger, Jesus had compassion for them. Well, Mark doesn't tell us much about what the disciples' response was. Well, Jesus had compassion on this crowd because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had a very sharp tongue for the self-satisfied, but a soft heart for the people in need. Well, how did Jesus respond to this visceral feeling of compassion? The first thing he did was to ask them to gather around him on the hill and make themselves comfortable. Then he began to teach them, thereby reassuring them that God loved them, how they should love God and their neighbors, and I'm confident about eternal life with God. But first, he fed the soul with these words. Then as it grew late because of his compassion for their physical well-being, he fed all 5,000 of them with, two, with five loaves and two fishes. Yes, it is vital that compassion extends to the physical needs as well. But addressing physical needs alone is not sufficient. The soul also needs to be fed with the word of God and the offer of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Word and sacrament constitute the core of Christian ministry. But bread and blankets are almost as important. Jesus shows a lot of compassion throughout Mark, but I think our understanding of that word compassion might be significantly different from Mark's understanding. We may think of this word as a synonym for pity or sympathy or even empathy, but pity is something you can feel without getting involved personally. And pity almost always carries with it an assumption that a person who receives our pity is somehow less significant, less important than we are. We see ourselves as better than those we see as pitiful. Even when we define compassion as empathy, more than just pity, there is still that feeling that we are somehow above or separate from the one with whom we empathize. When we empathize with someone else, it is clear that these are not our feelings. We only experience them temporarily, and they still belong to the other person. But compassion really means suffering with the one who suffers. The Greek verb for compassion, splechnitsomai, includes the root word for intestines. Compassion is something you feel in your gut. Compassion is what bubbles up in us when we see someone else experience a pain we have possibly experienced and know all too well. We internalize that pain in the very core of our being. Action is the response to experiencing compassion. Well, as the story moves to the next story, we see when they had crossed over to get some solitude, they came to the, uh, and, and then left there, they, they went to the land of Gennesaret and moored their boat there. After feeding the 5,000 and walking on water, 
Jesus travels by boat again with his disciples, or at least part of the way, because he walked to the boat and actually spent more time in solitude because he went up to the mountain. And uh, this fertile plain, these people now go and try to run around to see him again. And it's about three miles long and about a mile wide between Capernaum and Tiberias. And it's on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's uh, very, still a very vivid in my mind when uh, we visited the lake several years ago with Deacon John and others. Well, this ups and down that we have to rest and we also have to meet the needs of those that need the mercy of God. The British Bible teacher, William Barclay, uh, connecting our gospel lesson from Mark, makes this statement. He says, the rhythm of Christian life is the alternate meeting with God in the secret place and serving people in the marketplace. Christian life means fully immersing oneself into the world, ministering to lost souls and those that are in need or pain. It also means to emerge from the busyness of the world once in a while to refresh the soul and to come closer to God. When Jesus invited his disciples to go away with him to the deserted place, he was not inviting them to drop out. No, he was simply inviting them to pause in a proper manner before continuing to bless and serve. It was an invitation to observe the proper rhythm of Christian life. <clears throat> and they accepted that invitation. So they got in the boat and headed off for the first of all Christian retreats. Unfortunately, it was not well planned because they couldn't get away from the crowds. Well, today our Lord calls us to join him in a deserted place, a place where we can be alone, not forever, but for just a little while. He calls us to find that deserted place from time to time where there is no Wi-Fi, 5G, emails, voicemail, a place where briefly there's no Facebook or Twitter. In the gospel today, Jesus challenges us to recharge our batteries with him and no one else. Now that we are born again in the resurrection of Jesus, how do we evolve to be the disciples that he wishes us to become? Believing, unfortunately, is not enough. Today's gospel speaks of having to teach, to witness, to heal people. This is what the followers experienced then and what today's disciples can and are experiencing now. Do you ever wonder if God has given you a vision or a calling to begin something new in your life, but the task seems impossible? Well, brothers and sisters, don't let perfection stand in your way. Just do what is possible. And Christianity is not just a set of beliefs, but also a set of practices. If you behave a certain way, you will be transformed. Thus, doing what is possible puts us in a position where God will transform us from people who think real change is impossible to people who are doing the work of God, even when it looks like the odds are against achieving anything.
our seraphic father, St. Francis, once said, start by doing what is necessary, then what is possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. Francis thought that God was calling him to rebuild an old collapsed church with his hands and a few followers. By the time of his death, St. Francis and his friars numbered in the thousands and included a second order of sisters led by Blessed St. Clair and embrace, that embraced with the men chastity, poverty, and obedience. St. Francis and St. Clair were from the upper classes in Assisi, but their lives and compassion for the lepers <coughs> and the poor renew the entire church of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.